0: Dave keeps inviting me back, so I'll take that as a positive sign, Um, but I did want to uh, just come this morning and share with you guys from the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, as I was thinking about the new year and just the cyclical nature uh, of life uh, was one of the things that really put me on to looking at this particular passage of scripture this morning um, because it it speaks to that, and it speaks to the things that we all kind of get caught up in and involved with in the new year, and um, having uh, just gone through the, the fiasco with Southwest Airlines, as Dave mentioned, uh, it's kind of random to be in Mississippi trying to get to Denver and to end up in San Diego and to take a, an unexpected but un- also okay with it three-day vacation at the beach um, <laughs> was, was perfectly fine. Um, but, it, but it just kind of rang true in my mind, um, verse 2, right? We see verse 2 come out in full effect sometimes in our life. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. Happy New Year, right? Uh, Came here to let you know on the first day of this new year that all is vanity, right? Um, And that that if we look at life under the sun, which is the way that Ecclesiastes kind of works, then we might see that sometimes the things that are around us just feel pointless. And we'll dive into that a little bit. Um, before we do, I do just want to give one more plug to coming to the training uh, with Frank Trimble. Uh, Frank, actually a friend of mine, uh, and we recorded a podcast together a couple of months ago uh, for the FAMTIME training network that he works with. A lot of really great resources, so one more plug. If you're, if you're at all interested, I would encourage you to be here for that. It is a, a great thing to, to be a part of, and Frank is a, a tremendous brother, uh, partner in gospel ministry. You would, it would be very beneficial for anybody who would come to that. Uh, That being said, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, the first day of a new year. And I just pray that as we examine your word and we examine our lives, Lord, that we would be abundantly aware of our need for you. That our only hope is in Jesus. And so, God, I just pray that you would... Um, be with each of us, Lord, that you would give me clarity of speech and thought that I would be able to communicate effectively the things that you've put on my heart. But more than that, Lord, that you would uh, open the eyes and the hearts and the ears of everyone who hears, Lord, that that you would cause anything that is said that is beneficial to be remembered and anything that is not to be quickly forgotten, Lord, that your spirit would superintend this entire time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, Ecclesiastes, as I said, is, is really largely about life under the sun, okay? So the preacher in Ecclesiastes is talking um, largely from a perspective of and helping us think about the way life really is if, if there really is no God, right? If there really is just life under the sun, then this is the reality of life, right? That all is vanity, vanity of vanities. It's all pointless. There's no happiness, right? It's all a waste, Um, And so as we talk through Ecclesiastes, I want to keep that in mind that we're talking about and the preacher is talking about life under the sun, life on this earth uh, as you look through Ecclesiastes. But I chose this passage in particular because we're moving into 2023 and it speaks to some of the frustrations of life in a way that I think most other passages of the Bible don't really hit at. Uh, it's a really unique passage in the way that it touches on these things because it points out one of the great realities of life, and that is that life is cyclical, okay? It goes in circles, and we, we, need, we recognize that, but we see some of the cyclical nature of life when it talks about the sun rises, right? And then it hastens back to where it was and then comes around again, literally, That We know that the sun is not the one moving, right? The earth is moving around the sun. But nonetheless, the whole point is there, that, that there's this cyclical nature. A generation comes, a generation goes, and now there's a new generation. And they, too, come and go. That we are in these cycles in life is abundantly clear. But the Bible is trying to help us understand our place in life and understand these cycles rightly when it comes to what we're being taught in the book of Ecclesiastes. So there are three big ideas. I'm going to chop this into a few different points, but three big ideas that are coming out in this that have to do with novelty, okay, or new things, permanence, things that are permanent, right, everlasting, and rhythm. We see this kind of intermingling in this passage in Ecclesiastes, and we know it deep in our own hearts, that there is a desire for novelty There's a desire for permanence, and there's a desire for rhythm, right? And we want to talk about these uh, in turn. So we'll start with talking about rhythms or cycles, just these things that we're used to in life, and they're actually really, really good, okay? They're good for us, and they're instituted by God himself. So the fact that the sun goes up and comes, you know, goes up, goes down, comes back up, goes down. This rhythm and cycle to life is something that is given to us in small things like a day, but then in larger quantities like a year, and then in even larger quantities like a generation, right? All of these things are cyclical, and they work together. I'd point back to Genesis 8, right? After the flood, God speaking to Noah says in Genesis eight twenty two, while the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. These cycles are given to us, and as we enter a new year, we're thinking about, hey, this is a new cycle. Every year we go through this, right? We talk about what's coming up in the next year. We just had a year. We've got another one. It's going to look largely similar, okay? Outside of a few small things, we all get a little bit older. There's a few more gray hairs coming in on the side of my head, right? But largely, this year is going to look a whole lot like last year did, right? Day, night, Seed time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter. It's all coming again, right? And this is actually a gift from God. Okay, this is the first thing I want us to see is that these things are a gift from God. C.S. Lewis um, captures this idea, I think, beautifully. It's stuck with me since I read this uh, passage back in college, but it's from the Screw Tape Letters. And if you know anything about the Screw Tape Letters that was written by C.S. Lewis, it is um, a senior demon... Right, writing to a younger kind of understudy demon and every demon basically in this um, kind of fictional account, kind of a uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's imagination of what things could be like. It's not necessarily something that is hardcore, theologically accurate, but he's saying, like, OK, if there was a demon assigned to every individual to try to draw them away from Christ, OK, what would that look like? What would that what would that demon try to do in that person's life? What would, they, what would they do? How would they live? Right? What would they say? What lies would they try to institute? All of those kind of things. And screw tape is the underling. Um, and he is writing to they're writing back and forth with the underling. There's wormwood and screw tape, but there's a, an underling demon that is writing to his superior getting advice. Okay? And the superior, in giving the advice, says this uh, in in C.S. Lewis's kind of thought about how this might look. The enemy, preface here, in this case, when the demons are speaking and they speak of the enemy, they're actually talking about God, right? So the enemy, being a hedonist at heart, someone who loves good things and loves joy, right, has made change pleasurable to the humans, just as he has made eating pleasurable, he has balanced, this is, this is where I think it's so beautiful, he has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. He has contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world that he has made by that union of change and permanence that we call rhythm. He gives them seasons, each season different, yet every year the same. So that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as the reassurance of an immemorial theme, okay? And I think it's beautiful what C.S. Lewis is getting at right here because he says, hey, in the human heart, there is a desire for change, new, novelty. We also desire permanence. So God in his goodness has given us both. That every year, this time of year, we are in winter, And every year, we get the novelty of spring, right? But it's the same novelty of spring that we get every year so that our need and our desire for permanence is simultaneously satisfied, right? We we get the novelty of the sun rising in the morning, yet it's the same every day so that we also get our desire for permanence, right? So God in his graciousness and his goodness to us has given us these cycles. And we all know what that feeling is like. There's a a particular pullover that I have that my wife probably wishes I would discard at this point, right? But it comes out every year in the fall, right? Every year as we move from from summer into the fall, okay, and I pull that, that old pullover right sweater out and I look at it, it feels new even though it's eight years old at this point, right? Because we have that that novelty and that permanence mixed together in a way that's beautiful. I'm from Mississippi originally, right? So being here, the snow on the ground, the cold weather, I am so excited about the change into spring. But as soon as spring hits, my desire to be able to play in water And jet ski or water ski or go swimming is going to continue to to crop up in my head. And so I'm going to be even more excited about the change from spring into summer and God's goodness and giving us heat. Right. And then as the summer wears on, we all know how we get. We walk outside and it is blazing hot and you're sweating and you just think to yourself, man, I really wish it would cool off. And then what happens? Fall comes. Right. And we get into fall. This is the only time where I'm not really looking forward to the next change, right? Because we go from cold to colder, right? Not really my cup of tea, but I'm sure that there is the avid snowboarder and skier somewhere within the state of Colorado who cannot wait for that change from fall to winter when the snow falls and stays permanently on the mountains and you can go and play and sled and do all of those things. And as soon as we get tired of all the snow on the ground and the cold, what do we get? We get spring and it continues. And God is gracious and good to us in giving us cycles, rhythms, change, permanence, novelty, all working together in God's good creation. And that's what we see you know, in verse 5. It talks about that cycle of the day. But there's, there's not only those cycles, but we as Christians also view certain cycles throughout the year. This was done in the Old Testament with the Jewish calendar. In the spring, in the Jewish calendar, there was a religious feast, the Passover, right? Which is when Jesus was crucified and ultimately raised from the dead. And so we celebrate Easter about the same time that Passover was. It's in the spring. Then in the fall, there was the Feast of Weeks, which was about the first fruits of the harvest that came in the fall every year. And the Jewish people would get together and they would celebrate God's goodness that the harvest was here. And then at the end of the harvest, they would, in the early months of winter, they would live in temporary booths to commemorate the time through the Feast of Booths where they actually lived in temporary dwellings and God was with them and cared for them through that. And so they had this cycle and they would get through the winter and then it was Passover, right? And then you're back to the Feast of Weeks. And we as Christians today, the, the Christian church has recognized and, and participated in rhythms that continually help us think about God's goodness and what he has done for us and kind of the redemptive story as we make our way throughout the year. We begin in the winter, in the early kind of middle parts of January with Lent, right? And for those who recognize and observe Lent, it, it goes all the way into the spring, leading into Palm Sunday and Holy Week, right? Which lead us right into Easter in the spring, And then in the summer, a lot of traditions celebrate the day of Pentecost that would have taken place in the summer. And then in the fall and early winter, what do we get? We get the beginning of the Advent season, culminating in the celebration of Christmas, which we had just a week ago, right? And then, bam, we're right back in Lent. And so we have these rhythms to life that continue to just captivate us. It's God's goodness in giving us change that we need, but giving it to us in a way that is permanent so that it satisfies both our need for change and permanence, novelty and permanence. We like things that are different in the same way that we don't want to eat the same food every single day, right? It is nice that throughout the year it is not the same season. But here's the issue, and this is what I think that the preacher is getting at in the book of Ecclesiastes, is that our need and desire for change can be distorted. Our need and our desire for change or novelty can be distorted. So, second idea today. So we got cycles are good. Idea number two, cycles are bad. Okay? <laughs> Stay with me here. C.S. Lewis, in that same chapter, speaking as tape about what should be done, says this. The horror... Of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. Now, just as we pick out and exaggerate the pleasure of eating to produce gluttony, so we pick out this natural pleasantness of change and twist it into a demand for absolute novelty. This demand is entirely our workmanship But the greatest triumph of all is to elevate the horror of the same old thing into a philosophy so that nonsense and intellect may reinforce corruption in the will. This is the tightrope that we often walk as Christians, right? We have good things that God has given us that the enemy seeks to distort into evil, right? There are so many good gifts. He mentioned one here, food right? Good gift from the Lord, right? We enjoy it, but it can be distorted into an in and of itself and we can produce gluttony, right? Relations between a husband and a wife, a good gift from the Lord, but it can be distorted into all forms of sexual immorality, right? The change from season to season, the novelty, the goodness of rhythm and cycle that God has given us can be distorted into a desire for something new that never ever ceases, and this is where we get New Year's wrong. Today, all over the country, and I dare say all over the world, people are making pledges for something new. An improved body through a new workout routine or a new diet. More money through a new financial practice. Happiness through, uh, through self-disciplinary techniques. In the words of the Christian rapper Trip Lee, people everywhere are saying... I want something new. What I got, it won't do. (laughs) All of the things that I just talked about are actually fine. Getting into shape, making sure your finances are together, right? Being more disciplined. All of those things are okay, but they can be distorted. And so whatever 2023 has, people just want something different. And that is where the vanity lies. They just want something different. Because here's the reality. If you have your Bible still open, and I hope you do, look back at verse 9. Here's the harsh reality for the people who just constantly want something. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. Is there no remembrance? We want something new. And we see this issue come up over and over and over again, whether it be a distorted desire for that brand new car that leads us to spend more money than we should on something that we really don't need, right? That distorted desire for a new partner in life. I want something new. The spouse I got, they won't do, right? (laughs) This continual desire for novelty, new, 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 is a distorted, distorted desire of the goodness that God has given us in creation of cycles and rhythms, And so that is where the difficulty lies. People are just seeking after vanity. They want something different than what they already have. It is a horrible cycle to be caught in. And people all over the world on New Year's Day go wholeheartedly into wanting something new. This is also true, though, not just of material possessions and people and relationships that we have in life. This is also true of our theology, okay? One of the most dangerous things that you can get into when it comes to your Christian theology is to want some kind of Christian theology that is new. One of the most dangerous things that could ever happen to the church is to see a billboard that says a new kind of Christianity. If you see something that says a new kind of Christianity, a new take on Jesus, right, run <laughs> as fast as you can. Because whatever it is, I can guarantee you it will be a distortion of truth. We've seen this throughout the ages. And one of the greatest tests of theology, if you, I haven't been to seminary. I have friends who go to seminary and we talk all the time. In seminary, they always talk about this idea. If somebody tells you they have a new and exciting idea for Christianity, simply go back into the pages of church history and you will find that someone already had that idea, okay, and that it was condemned as heresy, and that is the only reason you haven't heard about it, is because it is not an Orthodox Christian teaching. My Presbyterian brothers, I will give them a hand up on this in their ordination process, Before a pastor is able to get up and preach or to pastor a church, they sit down for examinations. They ask them questions. And one of the last questions, the catch-all question that they ask at the end, do you have any new or exciting ideas to bring to Christianity? And the correct answer is no. So I want to propose to you, okay, that this is not new year, new you. This is not new year, new me. This is new year, same gospel. And that actually fulfills the real desire for permanence that we all have. The real desire for permanence that we all have can only be fulfilled through the never-ending, never-changing truth of the gospel. Not a constant seek for things that are new and novel. But we want, and we want permanent. Okay? We want permanent so bad. And to me, that is really what verse 4 and on are talking about. If you would look back at your Bible again, just want to read uh, beginning in verse 4 through verse 8. It says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and then goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We all know that feeling that the writer of Ecclesiastes is getting at here. We know that desire for new. We know that desire for permanent. But that desire for permanence is one that can be distorted. I joke um, that the, the new mother's translation, okay, um, of verse 7 would really read something like this. You do the laundry, but the laundry is not done, right? <laughs> the stream, you know, the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea is not full. You do the laundry, but the laundry is not done, okay? You clean the house, but the house is not clean. You buy a new car, yet the car is not new. You fill it up with gas, yes it, yet the gas tank is not full, right? We all know this reality that is being touched on by the writer of Ecclesiastes here. This this is the point that I'm driving at. We want new, and we want the new to be permanent, right? And the reality of life is that the new is not permanent, right? You buy the new clothes, I buy the new socks, and every year they get holes in them, right? It is something that goes on and on. It is the temptation of all of us. We just want it to be done. Don't you wish that you could just do the laundry and that the laundry was done? Didn't don't need to do it again, right? But that's not the reality. That is not the permanence that we live in as human beings. And I remember listening to um, K Love. Do they have K Love stations around here? Okay, in Mississippi, I feel like they were much more popular. Um, and I was listening to K-Love one day, and I was really kind of just struggling, honestly, in my, my own faith at that point, And just kind of in my walk was, man, it was like, there's, I, I'm just never done. I had this feeling of like, I'm just, it's just never done. And this guy came on, and I didn't realize it at the, at the point, but this guy came on, K-Love, and he said, hey, the hardest thing about being a Christian to me is I'm never done, right? There's never a, a time or a place in my life, right, where it's just like, all right, I read the Bible, and now I don't have to do it anymore, right? There's never a time and place in my life where it's like, okay, um, I taught the Bible to my kids, and now I, don't have to, I did it. It's done, right? It never has to be done again, right? And it's a really difficult thing for me because my personality is one, and my wife can attest to this. The unfortunate reality of my personality is that I like for things to be done. Before I can sit down and relax, the house has to be clean, right? And it's done, and then I can relax, Right? Well, one of the things that that really creates is it's helpful in some situations, right? Because it means that we typically have a clean house at work. My work is usually done because before it's done, you know, I I can't really rest or relax or sometimes even go home. I want to make sure everything's done. But the hard part of a personality like mine, of a desire like that, is that when it came to my Christian walk, I was really struggling to just relax because I wanted to get done. And when this guy talked about that on Caleb, it just it hit me. I realized that that what I was really doing is that I was in more of a works-based salvation mindset. I was trying to get my work done so that God would love me and then I could rest. Right? And to me, that is the worst cycle of all to be trapped in. The worst desire for permanence possible is to be in the one that says, hey, I want to get enough stuff done. I want to do enough new things. I want to get my work done so that I don't have to continue in this cycle where the stream flows into the sea, but the sea is not full. I just want it to be done. And that is exhausting. But that's the reality that most people are living in today. When people wake up this morning and they say to themselves, I just need to look better. If I just had more money, If I just had more self discipline, then I would be happy, then I would be done. But it's not true. Because you can get in shape, but it's not done. If you don't keep going to the gym, you're gonna fall right back out of shape. You can get your finances right, okay? But if you don't keep up with it, then you'll fall right back into debt, right? You can get a new spouse. But if you don't change your behavior and the way that you interact with other people so that you are a more lovable person yourself, then you will be right back in the same place where you were. And that's the harsh reality of New Year's and the vanity of all of it is that we want to simply be done, but we can't. And sometimes we're even in the mindset of if I could do all of these things right, then I will be acceptable. Then I'll be good enough. Then I'll look good enough. Then I'll have enough money. Then I'll be able to have this person. I'll be able to have this thing, right? God will accept me if I can just do enough good stuff. And this is where we have to agree with the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That type of life under the sun is meaningless. He doesn't just call it vanity. It is the vanity of all vanities, right? It is the va- vanity in the highest, right? This is the utmost foolishness. And that is why we need the reality of Jesus, okay? Because that is the only thing that will truly satisfy our hearts. We have a desire for permanence. We have a desire for new, right? And we live in these good cycles that God has given us. And I just want to put forward to you that Jesus satisfies every one of those desires. The psalmist tells us that at the Lord's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus, in Revelation 12, verse 5, says this. John, in Revelation, says, he who was seated on the throne, that is Jesus, says, behold, I am making all things new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We have the newness that Jesus brings to our life and to the lives of those people around us. The only way to truly be made new is to be given a new heart by God, to to have a new spirit put within you so that you can walk in newness of life. Without that, there is no new year, new you. But at the same time, Jesus gives us a sure and steadfast anchor, a hope in the midst of a world that is changing and shifting sand. Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 14 says and I love this talk of like the cyclical nature of the way that things were in the Old Testament and the permanence of Jesus. Just listen for it as I read verses 11 to 14. Every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for a time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I love the imagery there—that Jesus offered a sacrifice once for all time, and then what did He do? He sat down. When do you sit down? When the work is done, right? And so I go back to that day that I'm listening to Caleb, and I, it hit me—ton of bricks. Oh my goodness, I'm working for this. I'm trying to justify myself. I'm caught in this cycle where I'm trying to do all of these good works and make God love me. And what I'm not recognized is that it's already been done. And that is why Jesus is sitting. He's not standing. He's not running around anxiously trying to get a few more things accomplished. Right? He is seated because his work is is done. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So friends, this is the the main thing that I'm trying to, to put forward to you today, is that we live in a world where God has given us very good and helpful rhythms and cycles. Things are new, yet permanent at the same time. New season, but the same season every single year. But God has also given us everything that our hearts desire. Our desire to be made new. Our desire to have newness. Yet at the same time, permanence. All satisfied in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to look to Jesus Because only when we see Jesus satisfying all of our needs can we look at the things of this world and say, I don't need it. I don't need the new car, the new body, the new spouse. We can break free from, as Screwtape said, the horror of the same old thing. Only when we see Jesus can we rest in his finished work. And and only then can we rightly engage in the cycles of life that God has given us. Ecclesiastes 3.22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. Rejoice in the work, in the cycles, in the continuum. The only way that we can engage in the cycles of this world and actually enjoy it is to know that we have a work that is already done on our behalf in Jesus. And Then we can engage. So this year embrace Jesus as your permanent hope of salvation so that you can rightly enjoy the rhythms of this life that God has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness and goodness to us. God, that you seek to satisfy all of our desires or our desire for change. We see the springtime coming and our desire for permanence. We know that it's the same spring that we've seen year in and year out. But, Lord, we know that the work is ultimately done. That we don't simply live life under the sun. And for us, all is not vanity. There is a work that has been completed on our behalf by Jesus Christ. So that we can know and we can truly rest, Lord. Even if the laundry is never done, our rest and our hope is in the fact that we are right with you through Jesus. We thank you for this in his name. Amen. 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 Yeah, it's good to be reminded as we go in.